This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down. I don't like that hand. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And good... Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Good morning to you, beautiful people, on this glorious game day Saturday morning. I am just over the moon, and we got new imaging, and it is so damn good to be here for two straight hours of nonstop sports talk. And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time. And we got the time for the next two hours. We're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Oh, we are most definitely looking good. We're feeling good. And of course, we appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it through the FM dial that tower of power that is 1037 the game. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Ooh, yeah. And we also got you on that 1037thegame.com, the free mobile app. Uh huh. And we also got you covered over on your favorite smart speakers, your Amazon Alexa, your Google Home. You can check us out. Just tell them to play 103.7 The Game if you haven't done so already. And it is a just fast and furious two hours today. we got a lot of things to get to. And, of course, we got we got to re- recap what happened last night in the world of high school football. And we're going to go ahead and do that right now. And I've just absolutely been looking forward to this. because It's just the fact that it's game day. High school football is on, in full effect it's a little wild and wooly after week one, but we're going to recap it all right now. Some of the stuff that happened across the Acadian area last night. It's going to be a tough fiscal bowl game. And we got to start things off with the Acadiana High Wrecking Rams. Or as my dad likes to say, the Acadiana High Wrecking Rams taking on the character Golden Bears. And Acadiana pulls away with a 9-7 win. We'll go into more detail on that one a little bit later. Meanwhile, Bar Buccaneers football back in action after almost two years away from the game. 56-18 win over LaGrange. Last I checked, Como took down Tioga. I didn't I never got a final for that one, but I believe that one was more likely than not going to be a win for the Spartans to open up the year. Bro Bridge beat New Iberia on Thursday night. 28-6. Lafayette High, the Mighty Lions, taking on Ascension Episcopal. That'll be later today. So hopefully we get a score before long from that perspective. Sam Houston lost to West Monroe last night, 53 to nothing. Notre Dame takes down Southside on Thursday night, 26-14. Sulphur takes care of business against Pineville, ekes out a 21-13 win. Opelousas Catholic Eunice was a thriller 
And you heard it on the Rewind. You heard it on News Talk 98.5. And Opelous is Catholic. The Vikings rolled to a 26-12 victory. Definitely a hotly contested ball game. And some good stuff right there. You also had, again, Barr beating LaGrange. Kaplan beating North Vermillion 20-14. This was a barn burner on 106.3 Radio Live. You had the Vermillion Pairs Game of the Week. Never, and I mean never, disappoints. And hopefully you've been digging some of the stuff that we've been airing on that station. I know I sure have, because it's been hotly entertaining stuff right there. The last couple of years, Fast and Furious, and Kaplan gets the job done. Avoyles, they beat Rain 22 to nothing. Northwest beats Northside 33-32. Madison Prep pulls off a big win. I wouldn't say upset, but it was big enough to be considered a shocker. 38-35 win after a late field goal. Keon Chris, the UL commit, looked very, very good. Turlings Catholic beats Opelousas 40-12. Lafayette Christian Academy, the night train rolls on, but Westgate held him just a 19 points, a 19-7 win for the Knights. Beauchene beats Bolton 45-38. St. Martinville ekes out Cecilia 48-41. High scoring ball game right there. Catholic High Point P. Livonia 47-24. Catholic PC, their head coach, is up at Catholic High Baton Rouge. And they are still getting things done. The fighting Cody shoots us. Shout out to him. Turlings Catholic beats Opelousas 40-12. Iota beats Iowa beats Iota, excuse me. You have two eyes facing each other. It's a little complicated. Iowa beats Iota 48-27. Nor- excuse me, I already said Northwest Northside, 33-32. Northwest wins. Pine Prairie 49, Maryville 15 on Friday night. Abbeville takes care of business against St. Mary's 43-23. St. Louis Catholic beats Crowley. The Gents did not look good in this one. 50-12 win for St. Louis Catholic. Lowerville beats Erath 41 to 15. Yet, I'm going to run through some of these other ones that I haven't mentioned yet. Kinder, they beat Wells 29 to 28, was your final in week one. Catholic Eye New Iberia takes care of business against Vermilion Catholic with a 21 to 6 win. Then you have Westminster Christian, they take down Generette 23 to 14. Lowerville, Erath, Hotly contested, 41-15, Laurelville gets the win. Y'all said St. Edmund beat Oakdale 35-8. Westminster Christian 23, Generet 14. And we kind of wrap it up because there's a lot of games that got canceled, bumped, or whatever. Hanson Memorial beat St. John 34-6. Highland Baptist ekes out a win over Gaydon 21-12. That is your final score. A lot of the games hitting the Acadiana area over the last couple of days. Again, Lafayette High, that game is going to be later today. So then we'll have a complete look at what the landscape of high school football looks like after week one and the way the hierarchy is, which is a great thing. And now that we got a lot of the scores in the books here on 1037 The Game, let's go ahead and kind of just look at some superlatives and some overarching thoughts of this weekend in the world of high school football in the Acadiana area. Biggest shocker, without a doubt for me, it's going to be Madison Prep outlasting St. Thomas More. The Cougars losing a season opener in the fashion that they did on Friday night was a shock to my system. It was a short turnaround to kind of like rebook this game. 
because they were originally supposed to play Brother Martin. My brain couldn't remember who it was last night, but now I remember it's Brother Martin. They were originally supposed to play Brother Martin, but obviously Hurricane Ida had other ideas. It looks like we'll get to those programs in a little bit. Thoughts and prayers out to everybody in southeast Louisiana as they're kind of dealing with this stuff once again. You hate to hear they're dealing with this kind of mess one more time. Meanwhile, Madison Prep, they had a gutsy performance open of the season. It's not Madison Prep is defending 3A state champs for the reason. But when you think about St. Thomas More and season openers, they've always been able to kind of handle their business. This wasn't the case. And now you're sitting there, if you're St. Thomas More, you're going to start wondering, okay, what's going on there? Like, what's going to happen to us? After week one, because you got you get your teeth knocked in week one in a heartbreaker. You had some really great things happen on the ball game. Walker Howard, he is certainly living up to the hype. The expectations for him are sky high because of his name recognition. And I think he's probably a one-of-a-kind type of cat. But I mentioned him earlier. Zion Chris out of Madison Prep, a Cajuns commit for the class of 2022 top of those cages in a little bit but i gotta say i was impressed by him and we hear a lot of hype surrounding him being one of the leaders of the pack for this program so i'm all the way here for that kind of conversation and wanted to see more from him but now the defending division two champions their quest for a three-peat i don't i'm not gonna say it hit a snag it's just now you tripped up now it's time to get up off the mat and go again next week. Probably the most entertaining ball game. I'd say it was maybe a tie, and this is a, this is just maybe some bias going on because I was I was board opping the Vermilion Parish game of the week. I'm getting texts in the group chat here within our Delta Media family of stations of the games that we have, and we had a lot of really good ball games. So we have. A tie here, I think, in most entertaining. It's Opelousas Catholic Eunice. That was a very entertaining, like, last kind of moment thing where it was, like, fourth quarter. All of a sudden, things started popping off in a big way. Things were just popping. And I like what I saw from them. Opelousas Catholic Eunice, the Vikings, they shifted more towards a run-oriented offense. I was able to catch up with Monty Hanks before the start of the regular season. He mentioned that to me. During our fantasy league draft on Thursday, we'll probably talk about that more a little bit later on in the program. I appreciate everybody for coming out, by the way. I know some people couldn't make it, is what it is. We are able to kind of make adjustments. That's what life is. It's all about making proper adjustments. But again, that was a really fun ball game. You also had North Vermilion Kaplan. That was a very much back and forth. Towards the end of the first half, you had touchdown, then North Vermilion took back control with a with a kickoff return for a touchdown, it's a kick six. It's not what it is, but a kickoff return for a touchdown. Took it to the house and like was barely touched at all. Hell, they almost had another one run back a little bit later. I think they learned their lesson. Hey, we're just going to go ahead and squib kick it next time. I think they, they, they learned. I think a lot of teams also are not going to try and kick towards that guy anytime soon. The most interesting result for me, though, was Acadiana High beating Carrico 9-7 and it was wet and wild fashion. I hear it all the time from some of my friends out in that Scott area. They call it the Scott Monsoon. When it rains, it pours over there. I used to work there. 
in retail back in the day when I was in high school, which seems like a long, long time ago. Kind of was. But it was pouring down moments before kickoff between Karen Crow and Acadian High. I was talking with Ben last night on the postgame show, and he told me straight up, it was 20% chance of rain. I think all, I said this, I think all 20% landed over at the Acadiana High. And the record Rams, they capitalized on an error early on in the fourth quarter, like the first play. A botched punt led to a safety and then gave him a 9-7. to An unusual score. Not quite scoregami, but still a little bit of a different win for the Acadiana High record Rams where you wonder... Why couldn't they score as much? I think that speaks to Karen. Does that speak to Karen Crow's defense, or the way the game was played, or how the how everything kind of looked? But I think we'll see these teams be in contention once again, and we'll see how the Golden Bears respond because again they won their first four A state title in over almost twenty years, almost thirty years. Excuse me, almost thirty years they they hadn't won a state title. They won one in twenty twenty, but now they got to bounce back. They got to respond. I think they have a chance to respond in a big way when they take on the Southside Sharks next Friday night. And you'll hear that action on Z1059 for the Karen Crow call. Southside, you'll hear on Mustang 1071. If you want the Sharks call, that's where you go. Meanwhile, I brought it up earlier. It warms my heart. It was a feel-good game for me. Like Immediately, I said, this is the game that I'm going to keep tabs on just because of the fact that Lake Charles is officially like back in the high school football saddle. I know there's probably still some stuff and some remnants from the last year with Hurricane Laura and Hurricane Delta, two names I hope I can never really bring up again. But after almost two years away from the game, due to two of, if not the worst hurricanes, to hit southwest Louisiana in a long time, the Bucks returned with a vengeance, dominating Lagrange 53-18. to I was very, very impressed from what I saw there. Some damn good stuff, and it, was just, it made me feel like really nice. I was like, okay, this is good stuff. Like, this is what I've been waiting for, and we got a really fun ball game. 53-18 to win, Barb, after, again, almost two years away. You don't know how this, like, whole year off affected a lot of players, especially some of the guys that were juniors. Now they're seniors. They didn't get to play one year. How did it affect their cardio and their stamina and stuff? It looked like they didn't miss a beat. 53-18 win. Meanwhile, the other big topic of conversation, games canceled due to Hurricane Ida, COVID, bad weather, whatever you want to call it. And I'll run through those real quick because I wrote these down in my notes, is that we had a few canceled due to weather to a certain extent, and also COVID. Washington and Marion, I believe that one was more because of, I think that might have been a cancel due to the hurricane. Church Point, that was a forfeit win. Church Point, Mamu, and Cigarettaville Platte all in the Acadia area got forfeit wins. Lake Arthur, they got a forfeit win due to COVID because the way the rules are, if the other team has to pull out due to COVID, you wind up getting the win. It's in Sacred Heart of Ville Platte, which sucked. The fact that we didn't have the everybody's favorite game, that is the Tea Cotton Bowl, that was bumped this year because of COVID concerns with one program. You also had Franklin home of Christian. Their two games were 
canceled due to Hurricane Ida. And that that's what that's that was horrible hearing that. You also had games like Delcom and Centerville canceled. Patterson, West St. Mary canceled. Yet those games all canceled, I believe, due to a lot of the weather that was around the Acadian area last night. I know Thursday there was a two hour lightning delay over in over at Southside, or should I say I think they might have been a Notre Dame, but it was a two hour rain delay anyways. Two hour rain and lightning delay. They had to deal with that. They didn't get the game done until about eleven thirty. I'm almost certain there were some programs that probably just said, Let's go ahead and pick it up down the road. But still, some really good stuff going on in and around the Acadia area. Now that we're back in high school football mode, it's a damn good thing. We're going to take a quick timeout. We got Steve Lassen coming up in a little bit. He'll be coming up around 10.30-ish. And, of course, we're going to have Blake Rafino. Are you serious sports? We're going to get the LSU perspective heading into a massive ball game between LSU, UCLA, We'll talk about that next, but we're going to talk about the Cajuns game as well. And we're going to do the Saturday Sports Sermon coming up in just a few minutes. It's Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Number. Who is the world-famous CD, really? Whatever you think, when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Oh, don't you worry. I'm not anywhere near being Costanza right about now. I'm in a damn good mood because it is game day. College football officially back. The big noon Saturday, college game day, all that stuff going on right now, leading into a fantastic Saturday slate of ball games. We'll probably talk about that more a little bit later on this hour, at least from a degenerate perspective, if you will. But let's go ahead and get down to brass tacks here and talk about what's causing all this with my favorite segment. I'm sure it's yours as well. We usually do it to start the show, but obviously now that we got high school football in our lives, we're going to go ahead and recap that in our opening segment now. If you've listened to the show before, you know kind of how I like to map things out. But let's go ahead and get into this Saturday sports sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. I think, without a doubt, not only is today a great day for college football, it is absolutely the most important weekend for the state of Louisiana in college football. It may sound like hyperbole, but I think you out there can agree. You can call and agree or disagree, 337-706-0111, that this is, for both programs that we talk about here all the time, the two top teams in the state of Louisiana right now, the Cajuns and LSU both have monumental games that could play a huge role in how the rest of this season goes. We'll start with LSU. 
I think this is the most important game of Ed Ogeron's career because there's already a lot of heat on you from last year, the 5-5 five and five season. There's a lot of heat on that. Then you add another log to the proverbial fire that is, you know, the Title IX scandal, all the, those investigations and everything in between going on from that perspective. So you have, you have those two irons in the fire, and you add a loss to UCLA, reminiscent to the 2016 season. When LSU lost to Wisconsin, remember, people were absolutely furious. Like, they were absolutely just livid about the fact they lost to Wisconsin to open up the season. And it was so crazy to think about. A few weeks later, some bad clock management later, Les Miles was no longer the head coach at LSU. Ed Ogeron losing this ball game. I've said it all summer long, and I'll say it again. Ed Ogeron loses this ball game. His heat goes from relatively warm to scalding hot in a matter of minutes. Basically, faster than you can say Louisiana Saturday night because it is going to be a long season if that's the case. And then you wonder, what's that game? What's that mark? Or do they let Ed Ogeron go at the end of the year? And he could very well be another footnote in college football. Alongside a guy like Gene Chizik. Don't forget Gene Chizik after winning the national title with Cam Newton, a transfer QB. That team got into the mud. And then Auburn let him go and got Gus Malzahn. They just recently fired him. So you can kind of think where this whole thing is going. Meanwhile, over across the basin right here in the heart of Cajun country, or as a good friend of mine once said, God's country, that is the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And there's no doubt in my mind that the Cajuns have a Herculean task behind them. But every dog or bulldog back in the day has their day. And the Louisiana Raging Cajuns have a chance to do something magical. Last year, they pulled off a sizable upset against Iowa State. A game they probably shouldn't have won, but the Cyclones let up after scheduling the game on, relatively speaking, short notice. The Cajuns handled their business, held it down. Now they have a chance to try and do this again against a Big 12 opponent. And I talked about it weeks ago. Acknowledgement. They win this game. It's well past time for the Cajuns to be a lot like the head of the table, Roman Reigns, and be acknowledged as not just one of the best teams in the country, but one of the best teams in amongst the group of five programs. You talk about Cincinnati. You talk about Coastal Carolina even though I don't think they should be ranked that highly. Yet they played the Citadel on Thursday. They shouldn't move up at all because they played a lower opponent. The Cajuns beat Texas. It doesn't matter what the final score is. It could be 10 touchdowns or it could just be one. This program will be moving up into the top 20, if not the top 15 in my mind, because they deserve to be acknowledged for what they did. And they do that, the sky officially becomes the limit. 
Everybody talks about it. We heard it years ago, back in that 2015-2016 range. I know I heard our guy who used to do mornings here, Dave Schultz, mention it many a time that he thought that Cajun's team had a chance to go undefeated. They beat Texas, no holds are barred, and there's a chance this team could very well go 12-0. And they do that, they're knocking on the door of a college football playoff ideal scenario. They're a New Year's 16. Tell me five years ago you would have thought that. 2016, that program was starting to be a little bit more on a downturn in the Hudspeth era. A couple years later, you hire on Billy Napier and the rest is history. It also has some major implications for Billy Napier too. Because if you have a big win like this, the conversation changes, my friends. Not just to, oh hey, Cajuns are a top 15 team in the country. The conversation shifts towards who's going to pull off the godfather offer. Which college football program is going to let go of their head coach that makes the most sense for Billy Napier? Because I've said it before, and I, I haven't talked to him, I haven't asked him this, but I feel like, and I could be probably right on this aspect, is if Billy Napier wins this game and manages to parlay this into a really good season, 11-1, 12-0, at worst 10-2 and after beating Texas, if we're being honest with each other, you still got to get over the, the hump that is App State at Cajun Field. You beat them at home this year, the conversation about the Cajuns hosting a Sunbelt title game and maybe hoisting up that 10 pounds of silver, that becomes a more realistic thing. Now we get to today's game day. Cajuns, Texas, LSU, UCLA. I think LSU wins by two touchdowns, if not three, against a UCLA team that maybe was a little bit of fool's gold, what we saw this past Saturday against Hawaii. Now it's a real test. 3.30, Cajuns, Texas. In my heart of hearts, I think the Cajuns cover the spread. I don't think they win. My heart of hearts, I'm being honest here. This isn't a work. This isn't an angle. This is the real Clint Domingue, not CD, not the world-famous CD. This is this is the government name. I'm shooting here. The Cajuns are probably going to lose to Texas, but they will cover. And that's going to be enough of a statement because last I checked, that spread continues to go down, and I believe it was around like an eight not long ago. And it's so crazy to think that that's where we're at right now in terms of the spreads. Nine and a half point spreads, some of them. Some of them have eight. The Cajuns just lose by a touchdown. That is a massive victory. And it makes you start to believe a little bit more in what I said earlier. 11-1, and 10-2 being a very distinct possibility. But I'm still, I have the Vermilion and White here in the first South Farm Credit Studios. I'm going to pull for the Cajuns and hope for an upset. But I'm expecting the Cajuns to take an L, but they do cover about all I got here on this Saturday sports sermon. We'll get back into the college football talk more nationally and a little bit locally as well 
with our guy Steve Lass of Athlon Sports. Blake Rufino coming up at 11.30. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. We'll be right back after a quick timeout. Going to get a sip of the soda, and then we're back in the saddle to talk some college football. Damn, it feels good to be back. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. And it is such a good Saturday. I'm feeling good because of the fact that we've got the most important thing that we look forward to on a Saturday back. We've got college football officially back. And, of course, week one is already underway. We saw a lot of games on Thursday night. Heck, Minnesota pushed Ohio State to the edge for a little bit on Thursday night. Was able to kind of catch that while at our fantasy football draft party. We'll probably talk about that more in hour number two. But in the meantime and in between time, we got to get in between the lines and talk some college football. And we got to bring on our good friend, to preview week one and kind of look at everything that's happened so far in some big storylines, we got to talk to our guy, Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. Steve, how you doing, brother? Hey, Clint. It is great to talk to you. Well, I should say it's always good to talk yeah. to you, but it's even better when we have week one and we have so many games to look forward to this week. Uh, you know, a full bonanza of games all the way to Monday night. So it, it's great to have college football back. Oh, that's an absolute understatement, Steve. It is back in our <laughs> lives, and it's pretty much in full gear already. I talked about it a moment ago. The fact you had on Thursday night, and I'm very entertaining. This felt like it probably could have been Ohio State just absolutely whips up on Minnesota early on. But somehow, someway, the Golden Gophers – were able to take the lead and make this game at least somewhat competitive. How surprised were you, and is there chinks already in the armor of the Big Ten? Yeah, that's a great question because I was surprised. Uh, I think when you kind of studied the matchup going into the into Thursday night, you know Minnesota was pretty much one-dimensional on offense. They lost Rashad Bateman, the standout receiver, to the NFL draft. They had a lot of inexperienced targets out there. And you saw the game plan. They were trying to slow the game down. They, you know, kept Ohio State to just 48 plays or so. And so they won the style that you need to play to win. And Ohio State's offense was sputtering early on. But you saw the big plays in the second half. I mean, Ohio State averaged almost 60 yards uh, on all their touchdowns. So the big plays for Ohio State won. But I think you start, you're starting to see the concerns that this Ohio State team had coming into this year are still there. The defense, which was one of the worst in school history last year, is still a question mark. C.J. Stroud, a quarterback, is still developing into that role. So there are some questions, and I think it's always one of those delicate balances. Do you overreact, underreact? I think we'll find out more uh, about Ohio State in week two against Oregon. But I think a lot of things to be concerned about. But I also think that there's still a lot of potential for this team with the talent that they have uh, to be fine at the end of the year. Talk right now, Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. Obviously, we got a lot of other games to be coming up today. Of course, let's kind of get into brass tacks here locally to start things off. Because to me, this is probably the biggest weekend for Louisiana football, not just the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, but we're talking about LSU 
two very monumental games for two very different reasons. Let's start with the Louisiana-Texas matchup. How do you see this thing going, and what would be the key to a victory for the Cajuns? It seems like it's tough, but an eight-point spread, based off of what I've seen heading into today, it makes you think that's not quite out of the question. No doubt about it. I, I mean, I, I think we go back to last season, and Louisiana was able to go on the road and beat Iowa State in the season opener. And a lot of those guys who were on that team are back. You know, the, the biggest losses for Louisiana is, is at running back, of course, but they have guys there. So I think you look at the experience, they're not going to be intimidated by going on the road at Texas. Um, certainly there's a different angle this year with the crowds and everything back, but still, uh, this is a, the experience and last year's success should work well for Louisiana. I think the spread is too high. I think when you, you break down this matchup, there is an angle uh, that Texas could be able to exploit, and that's the rush defense of Louisiana. We saw that you know they gave up some yards in the bowl game to UTSA, Coastal Carolina. That's what Texas is going to try to do uh, with Bijan Robinson, and they're just going to try and take advantage of the line of scrimmage and try to push Louisiana around. I think the flip side of that is, if you're the Cajuns, you have a first-time starting quarterback for Texas, the receivers for Texas have been inconsistent in the fall. That's a question mark coming into the season. So I think if you're Louisiana, you've got to be able to stop the run and force Texas to win this game through the air. Offensively, you know, I, I think you need kind of that efficient uh, performance from Levi Lewis that we're all used to seeing. And also, I think the formula that we saw to beat Iowa State last year, a couple turnovers, big play on special teams, like I think that's the formula for Louisiana, stop the run, efficiency on offense, and a couple breaks here and there, and they could potentially uh, leave Texas with an upset. I like Texas to win, but I think Louisiana keeps this game much closer uh, than the, the good folks out in Vegas seem to think so. That's kind of what I'm thinking, too, my I'm glad it kind of dropped down to where it was originally. I believe the opening line was 14 and a half, 15. I'm like, there's no way that's going to be a two-point, a two-touchdown ball game between these two opponents, Steve. But looking at the bigger picture, and we talk about the hypothetical, if Cajuns are able to pull off, and I think it is a Herculean task to beat Texas, but if they beat Texas, does that kind of seal Billy Napier's fate whenever that next big job does indeed come open, wherever it is? Do you think Billy Napier's, like, the offers are going to be too good for him to pass up? It's a great question. I, I think, you know, looking down the road this season, you know, you start looking at the hot seat, and it's places like Michigan, it's places like USC, it's potentially uh, Nebraska. Um, you know, they, there's certainly always a, a surprise job or two that opens. But I think what we've seen uh, in the past coaching carousels and from people that I've talked to who, who seem to be a little bit in the know as far as coaches go, they seem to think that Billy Napier is going to be very patient at finding a potential uh, next step down the road. And it has to fit everything that he wants in a program. So I don't – from I think he's not one of those coaches that seems like he's just going to jump at the first opportunity. It has to be right. And I think you when you start looking at guys who could make that jump, you know, it's Luke Fickle, it's Billy Napier. So he's kind of already at the top of the list, but I think it would take that perfect spot. I don't think there's – I don't think if, if Louisiana beats Texas, it necessarily changes the calculus – I also think, too, when you're one of those coaches who has a really good job at a group of five place, you know, and you're getting paid pretty well, why step into the pressure cooker of some other conference or a team 
and you know, you, two bad years could really uh, put you on the hot seat. So I, I think he will be patient, regardless of the outcome uh, of Saturday's game. All right, let's get into the conversation about LSU UCLA. And I think without a doubt, this is a game that's probably the most important of Ed Ogeron's career. Am I wrong? He talked about it a lot during the press conferences leading up to today's game. But do you agree with that sentiment that this is the most important game of Ed Ogeron's career? Potentially, yeah. I mean, it is funny to think about that because, you know, LSU just won the national championship in 2019. But I think it is kind of one of those games where you wonder where LSU is coming into the season. The coaching changes last season was disappointing. I think by you know most standards, LSU was not expected to finish uh, five and five, and then of course they kind of struggled their way to that mark. So I think it's it's such a statement opportunity to show that the coaching changes were right. The talent plus the coaching is going to blend together this year and get the program back on track. So I think it is kind of one of those statement opportunities for LSU to sort of say, hey. Last year was just an aberration. We're back. We're going to be a top-10 team this year. So it's absolutely a crucial non-conference game for LSU, and a crucial because you start looking down the road with A&M trending up, Alabama, of course, where they are, Ole Miss potentially this year with a lot of momentum. So there's a lot riding uh, on this game for LSU to kind of show the college football world just where they are right now. Talk right now, Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. Obviously, one of the other big games, especially in the Conference of Dixie, it's been packed. And one of those is Georgia taking on Clemson, a battle of two top five programs. It could very well determine how things go in the CFP. I know it's way too early for that. But my goodness, Georgia-Clemson, how entertaining is that game going to be? Man, it doesn't get much better than this, does it? Week one, two top five teams, I mean, it's a massive showdown, and, of course, it's been hyped all off season. and the worst thing that could happen would be some blowout. I would be really surprised if we had a one-sided game. I think the talent level for both teams, of course, is very high. You have two standout quarterbacks. You have skill talent, great coaching staff. I mean, it has all the ingredients to be a great matchup. And I think as, as much as we've talked about how the quarterbacks are great and their skill, talent, and weapons all over the place, I still think that this game is decided along the line of scrimmage. Georgia's offensive line comes into the year with a ton of talent. Not sure how they line up yet, how, the, how it's all going to mesh together. Um, I think for Clemson, they were embarrassed in the Sugar Bowl. I mean, Ohio State pushed them around on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Uh, they took advantage of their secondary. So I think Clemson uh, has a lot to prove here. You know, it's one thing to dominate the Boston Colleges and Syracuse of the ACC. The challenge level in the trenches gets a lot higher when you play Georgia-Alabama. So I think there's a lot to prove here for both sides. And I think the game comes down to the t- to the trenches. I think as much as the quarterbacks and all that matter, whoever controls the line of scrimmage is going to win this game. I've been listening to a lot of people in sports radio leading into this week talking college football, and I've been hearing a lot of love for DJ. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name, but do you think he's an absolute front runner for the Heisman? Absolutely. I think the safest thing is to say DJU because that's what I've got to settle on. Good point. Someone who gets tongue tongue tied very easily. I think you know. For the, we look at the Heisman Trophy, it is a quarterback-driven award. Even though Devonta Smith won it last year, 
And he's already proven himself at a high level. He threw for over 400 yards against Notre Dame. He was solid in the start against Boston College. The track record of Clemson quarterbacks, too, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, and, and just kind of the last couple years, they've had a guy in the mix to win the Heisman Trophy. So I think he's got the talent, five-star recruit coming out of high school. He's already proven the system, the track record is there. Um, I think he will be in the mix to be a Heisman Trophy candidate this year. I wouldn't pick him to win it, but I think he'll be among the top ten. We talked about the Ohio State contest where they almost lost to Minnesota, where they were in on upset alert. Are there any teams week one that you are absolutely saying, I, I don't know what the legality of gambling is out in Tennessee, but I'm almost certain you probably are considering throwing down some ducats on a major upset. Who do you think is on upset alert right now as we approach that 11 o'clock hour when we finally get college football back? You know, I think there are two games that come to mind, and they're, they're both from the Pac-12. You have USC hosting San Jose State. San Jose State's already got one game under its belt. They beat Southern Utah uh, last week. Southern Utah is not a very good FCS team. But knocking the rust off before you go play USC, I think it's a good thing for San Jose State. They're the defending Mountain West champs, too. So this is not a pushover by any means. USC was very inconsistent last season. So I'm curious to see how well they play against a very good group of five team. Also, Nevada at California. Nevada can score. Cal's got a good defense. Uh, it's an interesting contrast in style. So I'm looking at those two. And also just on the, on the kind of power five level, the Big Ten has two interesting matchups with Penn State going up to Wisconsin, Indiana and Iowa, conference play in week one. Uh, those spreads are kind of right around under five points or so. So wouldn't be surprised to see the underdog win in both of those, but certainly uh, worth watching if you're wavering, you know, you're thinking of putting some uh, wagers down on underdogs this week. All right, Steve, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy opening day. I know we've had a couple of days where you've had a handful of games, like on Thursday night, was able to kind of catch a handful of, including Coastal Carolina and the Citadel. But again, it's at opening day, so enjoy it, brother. Hey, you too, Clint. Enjoy all the games this weekend and look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks a lot. All right, Steve. Appreciate him joining the program as always. And we're going to go ahead and wrap up our number one. We talk about sports betting. We're going to give you my five personal favorite bets heading into this weekend right before kickoff on Saturday. Also, obviously, we got some stuff coming up later on this weekend during the opening weekend of college football. But I'll give you five to really kind of catch in on and key in on on this Louisiana Saturday morning. Back after this on 103.7 The Game. famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear with Under the Dome with the world famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back Under the Dome with CD, hour one, about to wrap up. We'll start hour two off, kind of going more NFL oriented, but I've got five bets in particular that I'm kind of leaning heavy on here. And we're going to start off with, I think without a doubt, probably easy money here. 
Over under 74 and a half. Give me the over on the contest between Ole Miss and Louisville. Over under 74 and a half. Pound the over on that one. This one I've said for weeks. Hammer down two and a half LSU over UCLA. That is, that should be way higher. I think the guys in the desert are thinking a little bit too much about that UCLA-Hawaii game. Clemson, they are currently three-point favorites against Georgia. Give me Clemson winning that one. I'd say that three-point spread may be a little bit too low as well. Southern Miss versus South Alabama. This is actually, I believe, a two-and-a-half-point spread, according to what I've been seeing. Yeah, Southern Miss-South Al, two-point spread. The Southern Miss Golden Eagles are currently two-and-a-half-point dogs. South Alabama is consistently inconsistent. It's a new head coach, Kane Womack. I just, I'm not necessarily sure the Jags are going to get it done. So give me Southern Miss straight up on a money line right there. Then the last one, Notre Dame. This is going to be a late Sunday matchup. I'm leaning towards Notre Dame winning and then some. This is once again a hammer. Bring the hammer down on Notre Dame beating Florida State. Currently a seven-point spread right now. He can take these to the bank, and your money will be going to the moon. All right, that's about all we got for Under the Dome, hour number one, hour two, coming up in just a few minutes. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down the line, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 103.7 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to the world-famous CD show, Under the Dome. Welcome back, hour two of two sweet hours right here. It's game day. College football is officially underway, and I am in a damn good mood because we are coming to you live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Here, this, worldwide. I got to say, it is... Relatively speaking, a hot one right now over in Pasadena. Just saw this pop up on my Twitter. 93 degrees is going to be the temp for kickoff over in Pasadena, but it's a beautiful day. Sunny day, so hopefully you're going to be ready for one hell of a ball game when these two teams do indeed square off 5.30 on the Pacific time. That's a 7.30 kickoff. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be damn fun to hear to see these two square off. But, of course, you can listen to us wherever you do so. We appreciate the heck out of you for doing so. Be it through 1037thegame.com, the free mobile app, Google Home, Amazon Alexa, or more importantly, through that tower of power that is 1037 The Game. He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. The man 
is back in town, and it is so damn good to be back right here on Acadiana Sports Station. I was here about 12 hours ago, and just leaving the first South Farm Credit Studios after a very much entertaining week one of high school football. Talked about that more in hour one. If you missed anything from that, we'll have it up shortly right here on 1037thegame.com and your favorite podcast gimmicks. Just search Under the Dome with CD. And if you haven't already, go ahead and see to it that you give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast gimmick. But I was going to talk about the Jacksonville Saints, but I was reminded of something that I haven't gotten to just yet. I was disappointed I couldn't get to it with our guy Steve Lassen. Full disclosure, he couldn't come on at 1030. Obviously, Athlon Sports, all the stuff that he's doing with that station, with them, uh, that magazine and the website and podcasting. By the way, check out the Cover 2 podcast. It is pretty damn good, like a perspective on the sport of college football. They drop two a week now that we're in the meat of college football. But this report came out from Ross Dellinger and Pat Forty, and I saw this pop up, I think, late Friday afternoon, right before high school football started. And apparently the league is going to be poised to announce four new members in the next week. You're right. By the time the presidents of the Big 12 meet on September 10th, four teams in particular are supposed to replace and add to where the Big 12 could actually you know, be a Big 12 or maybe Big 12 light. I don't know. But the plan is that these four teams would join the league by 2023 or 2024 and could possibly compete alongside Oklahoma and Texas before two powerhouses depart for the SEC in Oklahoma and the Longhorns. It makes me wonder, who are those four teams? Thankfully, Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated, and Pat Forty, they have four names. And I'm not a fan of it, especially the last one. And again, maybe the Vermilion and White Glasses are are fully on right now. But the four that are going to be proposed to join the Big 12 are as follows. UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. They're expected to apply for Big 12 membership in the next week and then could be improved for admission on September the 10th. You're right. UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. BYU was heavily bandied about. Houston. Heavily bandied about. Honestly, I think Houston's a mistake. BYU, I get. If you can get them to come over from the independent, that sets you up really nicely. Now I think they will have to move again into a Pac-12 type situation because I think they fit more on the West Coast conferences in terms of what I've talked about before, the territories. But you have UCF, Houston, BYU. Those, I okay, Florida, I guess. UCF wants to get over, fine. BYU, it's a little iffy. Houston, I'm like, if it was Houston four or five years ago with Tom Herman leading things, I'd probably say yeah. Because that team was on an upward swing. A couple years ago, they just, like the last couple years, they've largely been an afterthought in an AAC that's been dominated by the headlines that are the Cincinnati Bearcats. And deservedly so. Cincinnati, though, 
Like I just don't like the fact that they are one of those that's going to probably get a free pass into Big 12 country. And I get it. You know, there's there's no like and I'm trying I'm not saying loyalty, but there's no reason why you couldn't put this together, especially considering the fact that you do have a team in West Virginia that really doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense in terms of geographical because again, I've talked about this. And I'll continue to talk about it until the cows come home. That if college football wants to survive, you need to kind of revert to what makes college football great. And what makes college football great is not just rivalries, but it's regional. And I think the territory days of wrestling, they're long dead for almost 40 years, if not longer. The territories have been dead for a long time, basically. But I think the territories can come back when it comes to this. What I've seen with this idea, UCF, Houston, and BYU, it's basically taking four of the best possible teams and just like bringing them in. Not even thinking about the future and going further down the road. Because that, that's the thing that I always will think about when it comes to making decisions. And when you're making these like massive decisions about your future of your programs and everything in between, that's something you're like wondering. You're questioning about what's going to happen if this falls through. What's going to happen if like you're preparing, and maybe it's the fact of the way I think in general, it's always preparing for the worst case scenario. That way when the actual when an occasional good thing does indeed happen, it's a way. It's it's a win. You just you just grin and bear it, if you will. But anyways, it's a different conversation for a different day. But seeing the fact that you have UCF, I get. They've been a big name for a while. Houston and BYU. Makes sense. Cincinnati, it makes sense because they're going to be a team that's probably going to be a top-flight program. They have they have all the makings of a program that's probably going to be tied flight in the not too distant future. BYU as well. I just think in terms of geographical sense, it doesn't it didn't work. It doesn't work for me, brother. And I think obviously, I'm gonna come right out and say it. Cajuns should be at least one of those teams that gets a, that should get a consideration. And I'm not saying that the Cajuns didn't apply. I think they absolutely should have applied. If we're being quite honest with each other. Oh my God, I didn't realize this. I'm just seeing this pop up, and we'll get to back to the conversation in a second. But this is awesome. Yul Monroe has a wide receiver named Boogie Knight. Why, how did I not know about this? ULM has a wide receiver named Boogie Knight. That's like a top-tier name. Bumper pool, Boogie Knight, absolutely outstanding. It's pretty doggone good. But again, like seeing this pop up, UCF, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, Big Ten, Big Twelve teams. In terms of geographic sense, I don't like it. But what do I know? I'm just a guy that hosts sports radio on Saturdays, and I wonder what's it going to take to have the Cajuns have an opportunity. Is it to move out of the at least perceived amongst the nation as a lower ranking conference in football? Even though 
right now, I think this Sunbelt Conference is in the best shape it's been in in years. Because you've got Coastal Carolina. They're a top 25 team. Then you have the Cages. They're a top 25 team right now. Obviously, a loss tonight or this afternoon is probably going to like doom their fate in terms of being a remaining in the top 25. A win obviously bumps them up to the top 15. But the second the, one of those teams loses, they drop back down into that, that bottom rung of the top 25. But it makes me wonder, like, what is it going to take for these programs like Coastal, like an App State, like a Georgia State, like a Georgia Southern, like a Cajuns? I'm just bringing these names up because they are ones that have made national headlines. Georgia Southern, they've been a team that's made it to the NCAA tournament like the last several years. They've been able to kind of be in control of the Sun Belt Conference in basketball. App State. Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, don't forget, about five, six years ago, they were national champions. They beat LSU to cash a ticket to the College World Series and won the whole bleeping thing. They were Sunbelt Conference champions last year. Cajuns were co-champs alongside Coastal. The Cajuns are set up towards, towards having one of the best years in program history for the second straight season. They're set up for greatness. What is it going to take? I think it's moving up to the AAC. I've talked about it in the past. I think moving up to the AAC is the right idea. But at the same time, why is the Sun Belt continuing to be looked at as a lesser than? A less than in terms of the grand scheme of the NFL, of the college football landscape. Because when we think about, obviously, Football across the country, we've got the SEC is always at the top of the tier lists. I think the AAC in the last several years is second. But again, the AAC largely very top-heavy, Clemson leading the way. Big Ten, it's Ohio State and largely everybody else. I think Wisconsin has a chance to be a team that's probably 11-1, and but they're going to wind up going up against Ohio State and get their ass handed to them. Very top-heavy. Then you got the Pac-12. The Big 12, I I feel like they're probably third. Um, excuse me, they're third or fourth, depending on what kind of year it is for a lot of other programs. But again, it feels like some years it's very top-heavy. This year could be a little bit different with Steve Sarkeesian taking over the Texas program. There's a lot of hype around it. There's a lot of expectations that the old saying, Texas is back, which has become something I've just been hearing on a loop for years and just wondering, is this the year they're going to be back? I think they win. Again, I think they win today. But we'll see what happens the rest of the year with the Longhorns. Then we get to the Pac-12. I think they're at the bottom of the barrel. If I were to go bottom of the barrel, I think I'd go Mountain West. It's, it's Boise State and everybody else. And honestly, I'd say either that or CUSA. Because Conference USA is a bloated charade of itself. Because there's so many teams, and nobody really makes a significant impact outside of, I think, the thundering herd of Marshall and UAB. And UAB just came back from a few years of not having football because they canceled funding for it or whatever. I don't remember the whole story. But you do that, it makes me wonder, like, where does the Cajuns, where do the Cajuns rank 
in terms of the college football landscape. Group of five. Because obviously there's there's levels to these things. But in terms of a tier list, I'd say the AAC is number one, but the Sun Belt ain't too far behind. The only thing that makes the AAC not probably fiscally responsible is the fact that you're going all across the damn country. The AAC, I don't know if you've actually checked out the way the American Athletic Conference is and the way things go. I think it's it's way more feasible to stay in the Sunbelt Conference in terms of like keep being able to maximize your profit. Because you've got teams from all over the damn country in terms of football teams. Central Florida, Cincinnati, East Carolina, Houston, Memphis, South Florida, SMU, Temple. Temple. Tulane. That's I think that's Tulane's the only thing that makes you think, hey, this is going to be a really good idea. Tulsa, Wichita. Then you got some other members as well that could be considered teams that were formerly there or what have you. But seriously, you're having to make trips from Florida, Ohio, North Carolina, and that's not even counting programs that are not necessarily, you know, like full-blown just football programs because Wichita State doesn't have a football program. You have to go up to Kansas. You have to go play a lot of other I, – I just don't understand the feasibility of it versus what the Sunbelt Conference has done. The Sunbelt Conference has put steps in the right direction. Hopefully they get to be acknowledged a little bit more. I just think it's the immediate you know, eyeball test and the AAC is getting a whole hell of a lot more love than the Sunbelt Conference, but they should in terms of viability in the not-too-distant future. But that's just one guy's opinion. If you got an opinion on it, 337-706-0111. We got Blake Rafino coming on in about 12 minutes or so, talking some LSU football because it's a big Saturday, obviously. We'll talk about that and more right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. And damn it, Inter Sandman just gets me in a certain mood. Because I was watching, I couldn't like, wait to see Virginia Tech. It may be probably a slightly overrated, you know, like, ritual tradition. Like, I love college football because of the traditions. This one just got me so amped up. Right whenever I watched the video, Intersandman, it's like chills. First one of the year, full crowds, full capacity. Damn good stuff. Absolutely loved every minute of what I saw over the weekend or last night in terms of the introduction for Virginia Tech football. Hell of a start to the regular season for them. Just the energy was all too real. Meanwhile, Oklahoma threw an interception early on in the contest. Spencer Rattler, a guy who is definitely a candidate to be a Heisman Trophy winner when the season's all said and done. They're currently trailing 7-0 to Tulane. 
man, a little bit a little interesting right now over in Norman, Oklahoma, which is for today only the home of the Tulane Green Wave after all the issues they've had to deal with over the last several days, or last week or so because of Hurricane Ida shifting a little bit more towards the east and really affecting a lot of that area. Again, thoughts and prayers out to everybody in that area. I know we'll have Blake Rafino on. I know he was affected a lot near his place, Casa de Are You Serious? And we'll get some ideas of what's going on with the LSU Tigers and get his prediction, get his take on that program because it's a huge matchup for the Tigers. Again, they're currently two-and-a-half-point favorites. I'll reset real quick. This is, without doubt, a game I am hammering, telling you, to go throw down some money on two and a half versus UCLA. It's easy money. But I'm going to go ahead and get into the NFL real quick because the NFL has a lot of pointed thoughts for me. I think obviously we start off with kind of where things are. What's the state of the union right now in the NFL and how do I see things going for a lot of teams? I'm going to just go by division here because I don't have a whole lot of time. i got to get Blake Rafino on about five, six minutes. And we'll start with the AFC East. I think it's the Bills' division to lose. The Patriots will make this division a lot more interesting. I think the Dolphins are probably going to be on the outside looking in. I wouldn't be surprised if the AFC South like swipes one of those wild card spots away when it's all said and done. Either that or the AFC North takes both of them. Because I think the AFC North is probably the most interesting division in football. But the East, I'll say Buffalo Bills win the division. Patriots are second. Dolphins third. Jets are fourth. I think the Jets have a chance to move up a little bit and get a few more wins than expected. But I still feel like they're going to be a little bit lagging behind those other three teams in the division. The West, it's Chiefs country, and everybody's just living in it for the most part. I think it's the Chiefs. The Chargers are going to be in second. I'll go Raiders third, Broncos fourth. And that's a damn shame for Teddy Bridgewater. But I think Bridgewater is going to have a struggle because the Broncos just aren't necessarily equipped all that well. So for me, I think Chiefs, obviously, it's their division. to like They will win that division. It's not to lose. They just will. The Chargers are going to be better, and Chargers are going to be one of those teams a lot like the Miami Dolphins on the bubble. It's all dependent on what the AFC North does, what the AFC South does. Because the AFC South is probably the division with the most instability imaginable because you've got the the Houston Texans who don't know who their quarterback is going to be week one. Is Deshaun Watson going to be able to play? The Indianapolis Colts. Can Carson Wentz stay healthy? The Jacksonville Jaguars. Can Trevor Lawrence live up to the hype? The Tennessee Titans. Can they not get COVID for like one week? Like that's There's a billion questions that I have. And without a doubt, for AFC South, I'll pencil in the Titans. Because somehow, some way, they've been able to control that division the last couple of years. And until Ryan Tannehill like goes reverts back to his Miami Dolphin days, I'm going with the Titans to win the division. 
I'll go Colts two, Jaguars three, and they're third mainly because of the fact they're playing the Houston Texans in their division. The Houston Texans are a complete joke, and they should be moved out of the NFL altogether because they have just been an absolute mess. Or moved out of Houston altogether and go to another another place. So for me, Houston Texans are dead last in their division. Meanwhile, AFC North, I've got to go with the Baltimore Ravens winning the division. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be second in that division. Browns third. And I'm putting Browns third with a caveat that Odell Beckham Jr. stays healthy because I think they'll be dropping down significantly compared to last year if OBJ is healthy for the whole year. Because the second Odell Beckham Jr. came back and was 100% ready, he he was hurt, that team got better overnight. It's not a coincidence. I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals is a reason why in my fantasy league I picked up Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd. I want that those that team to go to the moon. The Steelers, I just don't know if Big Ben has it in him anymore, especially against an AFC North that has gotten better. The Steelers over the years, they've been dominant against the AFC North. The Bengals are getting better. The Browns are getting better. The Ravens are improving every year, every step they're taking. So for that alone, I'm putting them in fourth, but at the same time, it's so this is the hardest division to really call. It's going to come down to like week 16, week 17. And that's going to or 17 or 18. I'm so not used to it being an 18-week season. We'll get to that eventually. So we have the Cowboys, so we go to the NFC East. We'll start there on the National Football Conference. I think it's going to be the Cowboys division to lose. I think it's more precedent on what happens with the Giants. Do the Giants finally kind of get over that hump and look better? Does this division have a team that's over 500 and makes the playoffs? That's a different question. The Cowboys have been cursed the last couple of years with Zeke Elliott injuries, Zeke getting fat, Dak Prescott getting hurt. And like middle of the year, early, early in the year, then you have to go to Ben DiNucci and the Ginger Ninja and Andy Dalton and try and figure stuff out from that perspective. I think the Cowboys do win the division. I'll go Giants finishing second place. The Eagles still have some work to do. I think they're third, but they could usurp the Giants in that second spot. because it's, I think it's going to be a very tight race for that second place finish. Washington football team, I'm sorry. You're going fourth. I just don't know what, what to make of you. Like, well, maybe once the football team actually settles on a mascot name, then I can say, hey, we're going to go ahead and know what's going to happen with this franchise. The West is another really tough division to call in my mind. I think I'd probably go in order. I'd go San Francisco, Seattle, Arizona, Rams. And even then, like it depends what day I feel. Because I was hearing somebody say, I was hearing, you know, I was blown away by this. I was hearing him, uh, Ryan Rosillo of the Ringer yesterday saying that the Rams were going to be the biggest threat to Tom Brady in the NFC. How? The Rams don't know who their running back is going to be, and honestly, Matt Stafford hasn't shown me anything in terms of being a big game guy. San Francisco, if healthy, 
I think they could win the NFC West. The Arizona Cardinals, they've still got some growing up to do. Yes, you got J.J. Watt. They've improved their defense. They've done, They've bought in. But I think they're going to be just a little bit behind a Seattle Seahawks team. Again, this is going to be a very tough division to call. So I think, in my mind, it's San Fran, Seattle, Cardinals, Rams. The Rams, I just I'm not sold on Matt Stafford getting this team to a like a playoff spot. It's been a while. The Chicago Bears in the NFC North, I think they're probably going to be third in the division. So the NFC North will go like this. It'll be Packers, it'll be Vikings, and Lions. I think the Vikings will be back and be a little bit better this coming season. Now, if they crap the bed. It's a different conversation. I think we could very well see the Bears in a wild card game again. And maybe Justin Fields wins the MVP and becomes the second straight year a Bears player gets a participation trophy. So for me, it's Packers right now, Packers, Vikings, Bears, Lions. It's tough. The NFC South, though, it's a little bit easier to determine how that's going to go. So it's Saints. For me, I'm, I'm going to put them in second. So it's Bucks, Saints, Panthers, Falcons. It's pretty much almost an alphabetical order. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win the division for the first time in God knows how long. Probably since they won their last Super Bowl in 2003. So I'll go Bucks, Saints, Panthers, Falcons. Because the Panthers, you got to show me Sam Dalton can actually do something other than see ghosts. The Falcons are the Falcons. Matt, Matt Ryan, I think this is last year. Saints, it's a do-or-die year for Jameis Winston. I think it's a year where we see what the future of the franchise is with Sean Payton at the helm because he's been doing this for a good while, but he was doing this for a good while with one of the most important quarterbacks of this era, if not all time, in Drew Brees. Can he continue to get this team in contention for a wild card spot? Remains to be seen, but the Saints are going to have an interesting year ahead of them. But it's Under the Dome with CD. We'll be back with more, including Blake Rafino after this. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We'll be back after this. world-famous CD is a pretty easy-going guy for the most part. Some might consider him to be the dude of Acadiana's sports station. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. There are some occasions when he does get unreasonably upset. I still don't understand why they drafted Ian Book in the fourth round. You didn't need another quarterback. You had two already. You could have wound up getting something that's going to help you out down the road offensively rather than somebody that's probably going to be more along the lines of a Garrett Grayson in the history of the Saints franchise. Let's all hope he's in a good mood this morning. Back to more Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. And I am in a good mood because of the fact that we got college football. It's underway right now. And Tulane, at last I saw them, they're still, they're 14-7 right now against 
Oklahoma. The Sooners, who are currently ranked second right now, I think already four minutes and 44 seconds left in the first quarter. They are definitely a team on upset alert. And I'll probably be watching that as soon as I'm wrapped up here on 103.7 The Game. But in the meantime and in between time, we got to get to our guy, Blake Rafino. Are you serious sports? First off, Blake, how you doing, my man? How y'all holding up over there after Hurricane Ida? Yeah, Quinn, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's It's been rough. You know, we're still running off of our generator. Uh, man, it's hot out here, brother. Uh, but crews are working hard. Demco Energy working hard. Tree removal companies working hard. So, you know, we got college football, so we can't complain about that. So it's a good day and opening day. And like you said, two lanes off to a hot start. They just scored. Let's see if they can hold uh, Spencer Radler in Oklahoma. So much for that defense in Oklahoma, huh, Clint? Well, I mean, it's it's a big it's Big Twelve. You don't see a whole lot of defense over there, but I think you can say Spencer Rattler is already kind of rattled right now. Looking at that, but obviously, I had you on to talk more LSU UCLA. I think there's not a doubt in my mind, that, and Edward Jones talked about it. But do you believe what he's saying about the fact that this is the most important game for this team? I think the most important game for his career. Yeah, I certainly think, Clint, that for him it's the most important game because of what happened last season. But I do agree with him because of everything, and I, you know, not to get into it, but because of Title IX and everything that's going on at LSU, I think from an LSU perspective, Clint, this is the biggest game that they've had. I mean, outside of the playoff, I, obviously, you know, even bigger. I, I really do feel that this has an Alabama feel in the sense of everything that surrounded the program. They're going to have to go out there today and not just win, Clint. They're going to have to win convincingly uh, to get the dogs to be called off. You know, we've had local and national media this morning talking about how Ed Orgeron's already on the hot seat. So they're going to have to go out there and, and, and really play well. But the one thing that everybody's forgetting nationally, in my opinion, is one guy that wears number 14. You know, nobody's talking about Max nationally. And, Clint, I think that's going to be a big problem for them moving down the road. They don't want to talk about him. That's fine, but you're going to have to talk about him after tonight. Oh, no, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. I think Max Johnson absolutely is deserving of a lot more recognition, and, and people will be. And they'll have no choice but to acknowledge ahead of the L, the table at LSU in the big dog that is Max Johnson. I, I absolutely have loved what I've seen from him since coming over to this program. As a freshman, he looked really good. And after all, he's the only guy that really has a winning record Amongst that quarterback room, this is going to be a really fun like ball game against a Pac-12 team. Talk right now, Blake Rapino. Are you serious sports? And do you think the guys in the desert were thinking more about what they saw last weekend against UCLA, between UCLA and Hawaii? And that's the reason why that spread's gone down to like and like this spread is probably the lowest I've I've seen that seems like completely unreasonable. I seen last I saw like two and a half point spread. How is LSU just a two and a half point favorite against a Pac-12 team that just merely whooped up on, on Hawaii, which is a middle of the road team? I think this is absolute fool's gold. And if you're if only sports betting were legal in Louisiana right now today, you and I would be making tons of money. Well, let's just say I might have traveled out to the state of Mississippi before, you know. Make I wouldn't blame you. If you know what I mean. uh, but, you know, Clint, I think, I mean, look at what happened during the entire offseason, though. I mean, they at one point, LSU was four. It started off at three. And, you know, what's crazy is they only, LSU's on, or, you know, 
it was only a half point difference after Hurricane Ida. So I don't really know, you know, do they know something that I don't? Because, Clint, I think this is an absolute steal. You know, two and a half, if you're, if you're a betting human being and you're getting two and a half, by all means, LSU, if they're going to win, they're going to win by more than a field goal. I, I just, look, I don't see how UCLA is going to be able to compete with LSU and the athletes that they have all across the field. We, you know, it's so funny how people forget when LSU goes to Gainesville with only 46 guys on scholarship, and they come out and they beat the SEC East champs. So the team that is returning are so basically, Clint, are you saying are they saying that UCLA is returning? Everything they have returning is better than what Florida was a season ago. That is is that the question? Are they better than Ole Miss? Because I don't think that they are. So. I don't know what they're thinking. I think that they think that the running game is going to dominate, which, look, the last time we saw LSU's defense, they gave up 307 yards on the ground. Can they control the running game? And if they do and they put DTR, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson in passing situations, I think Eli Ricks, uh, Derek Stingley, and my sleeper tonight, Jay Ward defensively, I think they're all going to shine. About to say DTR, is that an airport? <laughs> it sounds like it. I mean, look, man, I mean, the kid's been more – you know, from Bishop Gorman, I mean, he's had more uh, hype around him than anybody. But, look, you, Clint, the only way to shut everybody up, the only way to shut everybody up is beating the dog manure out of, out of UCLA tonight. Put everybody on notice. You did that at Georgia State. It was Georgia State, and you went to Texas. You put up 46-19. and 19. You want to shut people up. You've got to go out there and score and dominate. And I think that they will, Clint. I, I put up this morning, I think the LSU wins pretty favorably, 41-24. to 24. I think that there's a late score by UCLA. But I think that it's going to be a dominating performance from LSU. I think that's absolutely kind of where I'm landing on that as well. Maybe not the exact score, but I think LSU does win handily. I'd say at most 21, at least 14. I think that that line just is absolutely insane to see that. But, you know, obviously we talk about the run game. Looking at LSU's run game, the running backs – have been a point of contention dating back to the spring game. Uh, you have Ty Davis Price, John Emery Jr. They're, they've been injury-prone a little bit since the spring game. They missed a few days of practice. What do you think about the running back room, and do we wind up seeing one of those two break out, or are, is there an underclassman that's going to wind up having to step his game up to help this program continue to be what they've been and have more of an impact in the run game? I'm going to tell you this, and I've been saying it, you know, on the shows that I've been able to do this week. They are going to feed, speaking of three little letters, TDP. LSU's going to feed Ty Davis Price tonight. I, I have that feeling. They're going to spell with John Emery to get him out in the flat and do some choice routes, see if he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I really feel that they're going to, they're going to, unless, unless he can, if he can stay healthy, they're going to feed him because, Clint, there's three little letters everybody's forgetting about RPO. I will bet, talking about betting, I will bet $100 the first play from scrimmage tonight from LSU is an RPO, uh, uh, something in the RPO game. Unless, you know, maybe they'll give it. Maybe they, you know, Jake Peace has told Max, hey, just give it no matter what, but give them the look. Regardless, they're going to come out and they're going to run the RPO game. And I think that you could see a scenario. Everybody's talking about Max Johnson not running, but I think he can run Clint 12 to 12 to 15 times if he stays upright and gets down. Just tell him to get down. Don't take any unnecessary hits, and that opens up so many things. 
you know, a guy that we know now, Clint, that is going to be starting tonight. We've been talking about him, talked about him a lot on Jordy's show a lot. Trey Palmer gets to start tonight at punt returner, gets to start at the third wide receiver spot per, per, per Ed Orsman in the depth chart, gets to start at the third slot wide receiver. It's going to be very interesting to see what he does. I think they're going to want to get him involved very quickly, get him out in space, because, Clint, once he turns on the Jets, you aren't catching him. So we saw that when he caught the ball in the flat against Alabama, and he's going up 15 and nobody can catch him. Can he catch the football? Can he get in space? I think that that's going to be a game plan tonight. And obviously, Kayshawn Booty on the outside, if you can get him work early, that only softens up the running game. Be careful if Josh Williams, the walk-on running back, doesn't get some carries tonight too, Clint. And how much, you know, the last last couple of years, it feels like LSU just has that motivation, one reason or another. I'm almost certain we'll be seeing a lot of motivation from LSU to perform at a very high level, especially considering the fact that everything going on in the state of Louisiana, they want to give this state something to smile about because after the last week or so, that we've had the exact opposite of it. We, I haven't even seen a two-deep for LSU, like I think that's the most important thing here for this program is to give this team, give the state something to say. Hey, like this is a good, like this is a good feeling. We haven't had that in a hot minute. Well, you know, the only way that you can, you know, you know what motivates uh, eighteen to twenty-one year olds the most is getting embarrassed in front of your friends. Look, they got a lot to prove, and I think that they know that, and I think Ed has motivated them towards that. Everybody's got something to prove tonight. Every single person on that field from, that wears an LSU uniform or wears something in LSU colors has something to prove. Jake Peets, Durante Jones, Blake Baker, all these guys have something to prove. And, Clint, I'm getting some word that um, right now it is going to be Damone Clark and Micah Baskerville will be the two starting linebackers there uh, tonight. And then you'll have Mike Jones. Looks like he'll be on the outside. Um, but, look, they got, all got a lot to prove. Um, tonight. So I think that this team is mad. You, the, the state of Louisiana is mad, Clint. Let's call it what it is. We're all mad. We want to unleash the beast. And so I think that, that the, the, the state has that energy. And I think, you know, something no one's talking about, I think that this might be a home game atmosphere like we saw in Nashville a couple of years ago because everybody I'm talking to who's in Los Angeles is saying, look, I have not seen any – Brewing gear, anybody, brewing fans walking around doing anything. It's nothing but a sea of purple and gold. If you can turn the Rose Bowl into your own home stadium after everything last year, and it's only a plus, Clint, I just I can't find a scenario in my mind where this team doesn't come out and physically dominate. I, just, I can't do it. Now, UCLA's D-line, they, they are big. They are not necessarily big, but they're very fast, very, very, very fast. So what do you do when you have a fast D-line and an undersized D-line? You pound the rock, and I think LSU does that, and they come out swimmingly tonight with that. Blake, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yes, Hopefully sir. things get a little bit better out there in Hammond. Let's hope so, my brother. Thank you for having me on. Go Tigers. Uh, go Tigers, indeed. And Blake Rafina, absolutely just a great guy to have on. I was, I've been wanting to have him on for a hot minute. I said, you know, I was going to – full disclosure – I'll kind of bring this up, and then we'll probably take a quick time out. I have enough time for one final take. But I wanted to have him on a few weeks ago. A few days ago, actually. Back on Tuesday. I was filling in for Jordy Holper. Hit him up. It was like a last-minute type thing. And I was filling in. I was like, let me try and hit up Blake, because usually Blake would come on on Tuesdays. I want to make it just very much an easy kind of feel. 
lo and behold, like he told me to take a rain check. I'm like, okay. I was like, I was thinking about having him on probably a little bit later on in the next couple of days. And then I said, I saw Saturday was coming up. I'm like, let me try and get him on. Because there's anybody I'd love to have on for some analysis on LSU, it's him. And that's why. He talked about guys like Damone Clark, gonna be Micah Baskerville, going to be getting the start at linebacker. That's huge. This is the news that you come here to hear. That's why I like Blake Rafino. Are you serious sports? Absolutely knows his stuff. Let's go ahead and just say that. We'll be back after this. Wrap up the show in just a few moments. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Wrap up the show. One final take next. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. After all that's kind of happened over the last couple of weeks, damn, it feels good to have college football back, right? It's just a good time to be a sports fan in general because, you know, last year taught us a lot that things can be taken away in an instant. Sports last year, last March, were shut down. We were in a place of, of a fog without sports. Somehow, someway, we pushed through and got to the end of the line, and now we're back in a sense. Obviously, there's some different things going on with, depending where you're at. And I heard Jordy bring this up on the show on Thursday, and I got to give him credit for bringing this up about my, you know, I didn't think that was going to happen in terms of the vaccination cards and stuff like that. I didn't think it was going to happen because I thought we were kind of done with this stuff, but we aren't. But I think we're starting to make progress towards getting back to some form of normalcy. When I see fans in full gear everywhere, high school, pros, college, Vaccination card or no vaccination card, depending where you're at. This is a step in the right direction. Nature is healing. We're back. That's a damn good thing to talk about. But I'm about to get out of here. Until next week, Under the Dome with CD. Same bat time, same bat channel. We'll be with you doing the same damn thing we did today. But we're going to have a whole heck of a lot more fun. Until next time, talk to you next week with a brand new Under the Dome with CD. We got LSU football coming up tonight. Pre-game is going to be beginning at 5.30. Two hours of a pre-game show. So much to get to there. And then we got the big game. LSU-UCLA right here on 103.7 The Game. If you go to the mobile app, you won't hear it. Sorry about that. We're out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. I'll catch you in about seven days from right now. The show's over. Oh, yeah.